1: Hey everybody! Welcome back to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We're here to break down the Tampa Bay Rays farm system today, and to do that, we are joined by our editor in chief, JJ Cooper. JJ's done the Rays system for a couple years now, really throughout their rise to the number one system in the game last year. That number one system put out some impact players who played a direct role in helping the Rays win 100 games and finish first in the American League East. JJ, the Rays graduated four of their top five prospects off of last year's top 10 list. Wanda Franco, Randy Rosarena, Luis Patino, Shane McClanahan. A lot of them played huge roles. Rosarena won Rookie of the Year, Franco was an excellent, excellent midseason addition, became their starting shortstop down the stretch. McClanahan was arguably their top starter once Tyler Glasnow went down, and pettino showed some flashes as well. So they graduated for these top five, and anytime you do that, the system rank is going to drop a little bit. This is no longer the number one farm system in baseball, but it dropped for the right reasons. You want to get these guys to the majors. And these guys, again, you can't understate their impact in helping the Rays win 100 games, win their second straight division title, and really set the team up nicely for the future.
2: Yeah, and those were the the impact guys, but they also had guys like Josh Fleming, who threw a lot of innings for the Rays. And they had Ryan Thompson and Lewis Head in the bullpen. And they this was a team that promoted a massive amount of rookies. I really struggle, and neither of us have done a study of this, but just off the top of my head, I'm really struggling to come up with a team who had more impact rookies arrive in one year than the Rays did on a playoff team, on a team that it's not, it's one thing to say, oh, we had a lot of rookies on this team and look at look at what this Cubs team did two years later or things like that, when we saw with Bryant and Schwarber and all, you know, got is something different when you say, hey, here's Franco, a Arena McClanahan, Shane Boz came up at the end of the year and was really good for them in the regular season. Not so great at the start of the playoffs, but, you know, but you, 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 had, a, uh, you, you had a team here that not only was successful, but did it while integrating a significant number of, of rookies.
1: So as we mentioned, anytime you graduate that amount of talent, it's hard to stay in the number one spot. We saw they dropped out of the number one spot in our mid organization talent rankings. But again, it's a good thing. You'd rather have these guys in the majors and have your farm system a few ticks lower than have all these guys in the farm system but not contributing in the majors. That said, this still is a, a very good farm system. What is your assessment of this system now that a lot of these guys have graduated?
2: It's still really good. I would say though, what has changed is It is more impressive now for its top to mid-range depth, rather than it is, they don't have the number one prospect in baseball. They had that for the last two years in Wander Franco. They don't have it at Rosarena. Shane Boz is one of the best pitching prospects in baseball. I, I give utter credit to Josh Lowe, who has gotten better and better and has kind of worked his way into being a premium prospect. It took him a little while. But the thing that really stood out, we just finished the prospect handbook, sent that to the printer late last week. And most of these systems, as you read through the entire book, most systems, you get to about player 20, and you're like, okay, this is a potential role guy. This is a guy who may not have a chance. This is a guy who, okay, he could be good, really good, but there's about, you know, there's about 20 different ways this could go wrong. And then you look at the raise list and You're getting to the 31 to 40 list that we do, and you're still talking about guys. I couldn't get Brendan McKay in a top 30. He's got a lot of injuries, but this was a guy who was a premium prospect who still there's a chance he makes it back from shoulder and now TOS surgery, thoracic outlet syndrome compression surgery. And I couldn't even fit him in the 30. There are a lot of organizations it wouldn't have been hard to fit him in the 30. Brent Honeywell goes to the A's. He's a top 15 prospect in that system he would have struggled to make this list that's the thing you see
1: so diving into this list shane boz as you mentioned emerged as one of the best pitching prospects in baseball this year he was the number one prospect in this year's race top 10 and We talked a lot about during the shutdown, how there were gonna be some players who took enormous leaps, mostly behind closed doors. And that was some of the excitement of seeing some of these prospects in 2021. Hey, who's a guy who looked one way in 2019 and one way in 2021? Obviously a guy like Anthony Volpe is probably the best example of a guy who just completely transformed himself. Uh, But Shane Boz is another, you and I have talked about this both on the air and just in office conversations. Uh, During the 2019 season, I was involved in uh, helping put together the Midwest League Top 10 Prospects list and pretty consistently the feedback was, Hey, Shane boss has a great arm, but this is probably a reliever just with the command, the inability to repeat the release point point, the delivery as a whole. And then when I saw him for myself in the Arizona fall week, and again, it was the end of the year. A lot of guys are tired. Sometimes they're not holding their deliveries as well by that point. But the guy I saw in the following that year was, yeah, this is a 100% reliever and, and again, potentially a really good one. I remember thinking this could be a great kimbrel esque type reliever, but nonetheless, a closer again, just, The delivery was a little all over the place, did not repeat his release point. You saw that in a lot of the walk totals. The guy who came back out this year was completely different. And it was amazing to me seeing how much more controlled his delivery was, how easy he made strike throwing look when, frankly, it was very, very difficult for him in a lot of 2019. Uh, To me, this was the guy I think about when I think of guys who just completely transformed who they were as players during the pandemic. The work he did with his delivery – uh, to be honest i still uh, i'm just uh, amazingly impressed and I tip my cap to him for for really taking the strides he did
2: no he he's he is a well rounded starting pitcher now it's he has one of the best fastballs in baseball not you don 't have to say minors majors in baseball, but on top of that, he really is a pitcher he is he's a guy who could really have success on a day where he doesn't have a whole lot of control of his fastball, command of his fastball, because his secondaries are good enough to do that. Um, you know, I was, always, I, I was always somewhat of a believer in his strike throwing ability, but this was a, a definite step forward this year. Um, you know, he was, he was a guy who, who really, especially for stretches in AAA, was just in complete and utter control of games. Usually five innings, uh, you know, you're not seeing a whole lot of guys in the minors go much more than that. But he was doing five innings sometimes. um, They were keeping him the 70, 75 pitches on five innings. He wasn't doing it where it's like, okay, if you give me 100 pitches, I might be able to get my way through five. There were outings where he went five, and it's like that was – That was 65 pitches. Good job. Shake your hand. You're done for the day. I can't really, of all the Rays, we wrote this in the write-up, of of all the Rays pitching prospects, and they have had many who have come up over the recent years, he, to me, has the attributes. Tyler Glasnow does not fit in this category. He wasn't a Rays pitching prospect. He was a Pirates pitching prospect who was traded to the Rays. But he... Of all these raised pitchers who've come up, I think you have to go back to the start of the last decade to find the map mores of all to say who was someone who had more of the possibility of being a front of the rotation starter than Shane Boz. I think Boz is that guy. They've produced a lot of pitchers since then, but a lot of them are more mid rotation guys. I think Boz can dominate with his fastball, but when you throw in the breaking ball, the two breaking balls, but really that slider, Throw in the changeup that keep keeps improving and the new and the strike throwing, it's a pretty refined total package.
1: Yeah, one hundred thirteen strikeouts, only thirteen walks last year across double A AA and triple A, and even in the majors. Uh, you know, small sample, but eighteen strikeouts, three walks, and thirteen okay. to third innings. I do want to hit on something you said there because Blake Snell was a homegrown Rays prospect, yeah. did win a Cy Young Award, was our minor league Player of the Year. Does Shane Boz have a higher ceiling than Snell? Because we've seen Snell and he's really good, but we've also seen him really struggle with pitch efficiency at times. And he had that one fantastic he, year where he was a number one, but for the bulk of his career, it's been a little more mid-rotation, front to mid, two I, to three.
2: I would say there are less command and control concerns at this point with Boz than there were at, with Snell. Although maybe I'm I always worry that I'm – I mean, he was our minor league player of the year, Snell was – He was really good. I probably should lump him in that group as well. That was probably a, I I would thank you for that. I would say it's an oversight on my part that he's at least the best since Snell. And you could say, I think that you could say that he is equivalent at least to where Snell was coming to the majors. That's where Boz is now. Again, I think Boz, when we're, you know, we're getting ready to work on top hundred and all. And when you say who's the best pitching prospect in baseball right now, you're at least thinking, doesn't have to be Shane Boz, but he's absolutely part of that conversation. And it's hard for me to imagine that he won't be very high up on our, you know, on those rankings when we get around to it.
1: Yeah. I mean, we've had these conversations. I said as much on the Orioles podcast I did with John Neoli yesterday that I don't think there's an argument he's at least not one of the top three, along with Grayson Rodriguez and George Kirby. I have a very hard time thinking he's anywhere below that group, um, You know, whether he's one, two, or three. Those are three excellent pitchers who all have a chance to be true number one, number two types, and, and again, give Shane Boss all the credit in the world for making the delivery adjustments to get to that point.
2: What, one thing I just want to go on the stat that you talked about.
1: So in 2021,
2: Shane Boss walked 13 batters in 78.2 innings. In the minors add in if you add in the majors it's 16 batters in in over 90 innings in 2017 his debut year with the pirates you know in rookie ball 14 walks in 23 and two-thirds he walked more batters in the minors in 24 basically 24 innings in his rookie debut than he did in 79 innings effectively this year in the minors that's remarkable you do see development like that. The, the example that we could always cite would be Randy Johnson, who went from walking seven per nine to under two per nine at his best. But it is rare that you see a, a, a pitcher make that much progression. And I think you give credit to Boz, but you also give credit to the Rays pitching development. At that time, the, the Pirates wanted him to be a two-seam, kind of a sinker curveball guy. And I think Shane Boz fits better as a four-seam slider guy.
1: I think it's fair to say that is the case as well. J.J., this was the clear-cut number one in the system. As we mentioned, he will be one of the top pitching prospects in baseball on our upcoming BA Top 100. He already is on our current one, but on our 2022 preseason BA Top 100. The rest of this list is an interesting mix of guys who have been there before, but a lot of guys who really rose up and had big years. Josh Lowe, Taj Bradley, Curtis Mead. Some of these guys were better known than others, but in each case, these guys just had big years and really elevated their stock. How did you kind of sort out this next group and ultimately what was it that put Josh Lowe at the top?
2: Part of it is proximity. Um, Josh Lowe, it's not a guarantee that he'll be a key part of the 2022 raise. But if he's not, it's simply because of lack of opportunity, not because he's not ready for that role. Lowe spent the basically the entirety. He had a... The briefest of call-ups made his MLB debut in 2021, but I think it was one at-bat entire. You know, the entirety of his major league time last year was two games, one at-bat. Um, spent the whole year at AAA, had a great year at AAA. This is a center fielder who, to his utter credit, we talked about with Boz, but to his credit, Josh Lowe's question has always been there's never been a question about his tools. There's never been a question about whether this guy can run. Can he play center field? Can he hit for power? It was always a concern about would he hit enough for all of that to matter? He has become a much more refined hitter over the last couple of years. This is another guy who got better during the pandemic. Um, You saw this year, he's, He just has better at bats now. I don't think that that necessarily means that he's ever going to be an exceptional hitter, but he doesn't need to be exceptional. If he's an average hitter with the power he has, with the defense he has in in center field, and by the way, center field, got an arm. You can play him in center. You can play him in right. You can play him in left. The Rays like to play. uh, There are games where they'll put effectively three center fielders out on the field, Josh Lowe fits very much into that kind of the distinction. If you want to put him in right, okay, that's fine. But that proximity, he's a guy who is basically major league ready. And when it comes down to him or Vidal Bruhan, who was higher ranked than him coming into 2021, Brujan's a great prospect too. The thing I would say though is, is there is more impact potential with Josh Lowe. He's just... He, he has a, a, a better chance to more consistently impact the baseball.
1: Yeah, one of the things with Josh Low that stood out to me is even when he was kind of struggling a little bit, uh, he had that year in Charlotte in 2018 where it wasn't great. And even you know some of his numbers in Bowling Green and Montgomery were more solid, okay-ish, some things to like, but some things to be skeptical on. But pretty consistently talking with evaluators, there was a, a general optimism. I don't know if anyone said, hey, this guy is going to be at one point, you know, the number two Prospect and one of the best systems in baseball, but there was still an optimism. People saw the ability. People saw the tools. You have to remember this was a high school draftee. He was pretty young at every level he was playing at, uh, in some cases, especially in uh, Charlotte, playing in a very uh, pitcher-friendly league, and that's always going to tamp down offensive numbers. So even though the numbers never popped, speaking to evaluators, there was always, again, I don't remember hearing a whole lot of people just can him, you know, sometimes we get that. Hey, what do you think of this guy? Oh, he's awful. You know, there's a blown pick. No one ever said that about Joshua. Right. I was like, Hey, there's something here. I like this, this, and this, he needs to work on this, but, but there is something here. And, and we've just saw it kind of all come together this year. He is,
2: he's consistently, I would say over the last like four years always been kind of a scout's darling. Like, like, exactly what you said that guy who when you're talking about players in an org it's always easy like okay we just talked about shane boss it's not hard and not surprising that you find a lot of people who have really good things to say about shane boss when you have one of the best seasons in AAA, in you know triple of any AAA pitcher out there and then make the majors and it look pretty good in your major league debut that's like a he checks all the boxes Josh Lowe was always a guy who, even when he was putting up modest to solid numbers, he always checked the boxes of, there's better to come. There's more to come here. I like the fact, the possibility that he's going to take another step forward. This seems like the year he did. Now the interesting thing is going to be, okay, is there going to be room for him? We're in a lockout right now, so that kind of slows it down. But I would not be surprised... The way the Rays operate, if they kind of tried to help figure out a way to clear room, I think that they do view Josh Lowe as someone who can help them in 2022 if they can find a spot for him. And if that means that they move some players around, this is the Rays. They always move players around.
1: What is Vidal Bruhan's status? As you mentioned, at times he's been ranked higher than he currently is. Uh, had a very modest year at AAA this year. What are the current reports on him and where his game stands right now? He did make his major league debut this year, but um, again, just in some cases, it seemed like a bit of an underwhelming season in some ways.
2: It started great and kind of tailed off. Um, I do think he's the flip side. Like with Josh Lowe, we just said he could play all three outfield spots. And so that does create some versatility where – if they need a right fielder, you can play Josh Lowe there. If you need to move him to center, if you need him in left, whatever, you know, you have options there. Vidal Bruhan, when you say you have options, like I do think that his most likely scenario with this team right now, where if you look at what they have at second, at short, at third, in the outfield, i think his most likely option is that he will break into the big leagues playing a little bit of everywhere and he can do that like his knack is he gets on base he's he's got speed and can steal bases but he can plausibly play almost anywhere left field center right second short third there aren't many players out there that's really hard to do we talk about oh there are players who can play six positions. I can't come up with a whole lot of guys who can really play six positions. Normally, if you can play third base, you can't play center field. I'm not saying they can't put you out there, but there aren't a whole lot of guys who look comfortable at both those positions. They have now kind of branched out with Bruhan. Part of getting prepped for this was, I think I tried to watch, I watched Bruhan play everywhere I could everywhere, third, second, short, They put him in left field. He'd never played left field before in Durham. That's the blue monster. It's not Fedway, but it's a similar type situation. No big deal. Like game two out there, he's like, oh, I got to play the care. I'm okay. Turn around, spin, throw. Yep. Okay. Keep a guy to a single. He just has that kind of knack where he has (laughs) that confidence to play anywhere. And I do think that's part of, of kind of how you use him if you're the Rays. They like to move guys around. They haven't had a guy who could move around as much as Brujan, although I do think he'll he'll go back to Durham this year. And I think that there's a good chance that he's going to play a good bit of shortstop because I think that they're going to have Xavier Edwards there, and Xavier Edwards doesn't play shortstop, really. He's just at second base. Bruhan's best position is probably second base, so I think he'll play most everywhere but second base.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they utilize them and ultimately what the impact is if it's more of a guy who does bounce around, play multiple positions and be more of a utility, not role player, but more of a a 45 to 50 type of guy as opposed to that 55 to 60 type of guy, you know, that all-star utility type versus that regular utility type. I think that is a little bit of the question. JJ, rounding out the top five were two really, really, really impressive breakout players and it was interesting because I feel like Curtis Mead got a lot of the buzz and deservedly so. He had a really, really, really impressive year. But talking to evaluators, at least my experience, the raves for Taj Bradley were even louder. This was one of the guys who this year got some of the loudest raves of anyone who wasn't a top 100 prospect type, at least in my calls with scouts around the game. What do the Rays have here? Their next
2: uber pitching prospect i mean (laughs) if you just if you graft if you put on a graph where taj bradley was when they drafted him and you said okay we think he can be this and you said okay so then he goes out to pro ball well move that graph you know that mark on the graph on you know up a, a, a significant notch and then you say okay now the next year move it up again This year is the year where I think that you say, "Okay, no, 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 you're you're not moving it high enough. Move it higher. Now this is, I think, a pretty clear, to me, top 100 prospect. Was one of the best pitchers in minor league baseball in 2021. Statistically, there is no argument for that. Like, he was just consistently, he was age-appropriate for where he was. He was the best pitcher, effectively on one of the best teams in minor league baseball, a 1.83 ERA for the season, a sub one whip, B1 batting average against 123 strikeouts and 103 innings. And the stuff is every bit like that. The other thing is, is, okay, so I've got this graph that looks like we're climbing Everest here. Uh, It just keeps going up. But on top of that, When you talk about the quality of Taj Bradley's stuff, he's throwing three, four, five miles an hour harder than he was when they drafted him. The secondaries have improved at a similar rate of improvement. He has, for his age, really pretty good control, pretty good command. The next steps are—I mean—that if you said, "What has he not done?" Well, he hasn't done it in the upper levels of the minors, and he hasn't really. Last year was the first chance he got to show that he could throw 100 innings in a season. Can he do that again? Those are kind of to-do list items. They're not like, oh, he needs to get this much better at this. It's really just keep, if he can improve at a lesser rate than he did from 2018 to 2021, from 2021 to 2024, he should be yet another very... Uh, useful member of the Rays rotation and, and especially a, a guy who could be mid to front of that rotation, not just a guy who can fit in the back of the rotation. And let's be honest, this is the Rays. When you say a number four, or number five starter for the Rays, it's like they often don't have that. They don't have a number five starter. Their number five starter is hand the ball to someone for the first inning and then have someone come in to pitch the, the second through the sixth.
1: Yeah, Bradley, as you mentioned, all the numbers checked out. He won the minor league ERA title this year, at 1.83. The stuff was great. The performance was great. The reports were great. All the usual caveats apply when you're talking about young pitching prospects in A-ball. He needs to stay healthy, as you mentioned. Should we build on this and get to that 130 innings and, and just continue to do that? But in terms of young pitchers today, uh, we see so many teams pulling guys after four innings. He was consistently going five there. He was efficient with his pitches. Uh, just a really, really impressive performance all the way around. All right, JJ, we've hit on the top half of this top 10. Uh, We're going to jump into the rest of the system here, but first we're going to take a quick break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search
2: for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed.
1: And we're back with J.J. Cooper here, breaking down the Tampa Bay Rays system. J.J., you talked about this race system being a depth system. There is a, a good group at the top. There's no question about it. Uh, a couple of guys who are all going to be in the top 100 when that's released in February. But there's still some really good players here in this 5-10 to 10 range and beyond, as you've touched on. One of the more unique players in this group is Xavier Edwards. We've seen smaller middle infield types come up and have success in the majors. You know, David Fletcher and Nick Madrigal are kind of the two archetypes guys who are very small. They do not hit the ball very hard. There's really no power to speak of. But they're productive starters on, in Madrigal's case, a a playoff team, or at least he was until he got hurt and was traded. And and in Fletcher's case, again, the Angels have struggled, but they at least attempt to compete. It's not like they're the Orioles. I mean, they're a first division team in the sense of they're a big market team trying to compete, and no one really questions whether or not he's a starting caliber player on a good team. Is that the mold, Edwards? Is there? What are the main differences? And what ultimately is he going to be? Because he's been productive, but there are also some very severe limitations.
2: There are limitations because um, the biggie thing is—is is can he just hit the ball? Not. I'm, no one. No one is asking for Edwards to become. I mean, not just Joey Gallo. We're not asking for him to become, you know, a fifteen homer a year guy. But the difference—if you're saying what is—there are a couple of differences. Like you said, what's the coming into the year? I think when you talked about Vidal Bruhan and Xavier Edwards. They were kind of in the same phylum of versatile, speedy middle infielders in the Rays system, excellent bat-to-ball skills. Well, in 2021, Bruhan didn't have a great year, but one thing he did do, he has steadily gotten where he hits the ball harder. See, Edwards has not done that yet. And I do worry if Edwards doesn't get to where he's hitting the ball uh, at least somewhat harder. We're not talking even trying to hit homers. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about hitting stinging line drives, balls like that, balls in the gap, let his speed play. If he doesn't have that, it. I do feel like it is hard to consistently hit for average in the majors in the current era. We are in an era where positioning makes it harder to hit the ball through the infield than it used to be. If you hit the ball over the infielder's heads in front of the outfield okay you're fine but i do worry about that with edwards a little bit and the other thing that he doesn't have in comparison to brujan we just talked about it brujan plays everywhere edwards has kind of stopped playing shortstop which doesn't preclude his value from having value in any way the players you mentioned nick madrigal they they drafted when the white Sox drafted madrigal they said oh we're gonna try him at shortstop and that lasted about an hour and a half, I think, really, before they're like, no, 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 he's a second baseman. Xavier Edwards can be a good second baseman, and there is value in that. It's also, though, tough to see he's in a system that is overflowing with middle infielders. And so it is going to be also a challenge for him to break out in a system that has, at the big leagues right now, Brandon Lau and Wander Franco, and basically AAA or the big leagues, Taylor Walls and Vidal Brujan, and we've got guys, you know, Greg Jones and Carlos Calmonares and Willie Vasquez, and we could keep going. It, it's going to be a challenge for him if he doesn't start impacting the ball a little bit more. It's, it is rare that you see a player in 2021 with a sub 370 slugging percentage, especially one who hits for average, which is what Xavier Edwards hit 302 and slugged 368. So that's going to be an interesting thing to watch.
1: Yeah, the thing's working in Edwards' favor. He's a career 320 hitter in the minors. He made that jump to double A, the upper levels this year across the 300 mark, nearly as many walks as strikeouts. He's a switch hitter who's pretty good from both sides. He is better right-handed than left-handed, but even his weak side, that left-handed swing, is still pretty good, 296, the 371 on base. And look, power has never been his game. It's never going to be his game. He has one career home run. Just to give people an idea, he's listed at 5'10", 175. That's a very generous listing, at least in terms of the height. He is significantly smaller than that. I will say to his credit, he knows his game. It's just put the bat on the ball. It is a lot of flares that fall in front of the outfielder. It is a lot of ground balls that find a hole in terms of even hitting a ball into a gap or hitting a ball over an outfielder's head. That, that doesn't really happen. It's a lot of those flares that fall just in front. But again, there are people who have made that work. I think specifically about David Fletcher, who when his swing is right, had mastered that low liner that drops right in front of the outfielder. But he got away from his swing at times this year, which just way too choppy. It's going to be interesting to see because people ask, is there room in today's game for a player like this? The answer is yes, but you're right. Having him even sting the ball a little bit harder. so it is that liner that travels into the gap and he could really run. Again, it's a plus speed guy, but it's only 13 doubles. It's not like he's racking up 25, 30 doubles, which you might expect from a guy if he's driving balls down the line, hitting them into the gap. It just really is a lot of that low liners and flares that drop in front of the outfielder.
2: And again, I don't want to make this bag in Edwards. He had, he's, he's a really good prospect, but he also doesn't steal. That's what Billy Hamilton didn't end up being a great offensive player by any stretch. But the thing with Billy Hamilton, when he didn't have power was okay. If you steal 75 bags, those are your doubles. You know, you get on base. Xavier Edwards didn't, he's had some, you know, issues where he hasn't been able to run as much as he has in the past, but, uh, but 19 steals so it wasn't like 30 attacks it wasn't
1: that efficient 19 for 30
2: right so he wasn't adding a whole lot of value by swiping bases either so it really what it does more than anything and fletcher has stayed on the right side of this line which is what it does is you have to hit basically 300 to have offensive value in the majors if you don't hit extra base hits And you're not stealing bases at an extremely efficient and, you know, volume of clip. And that's where it puts a lot of pressure on your ability to hit for average. And so Edwards has done that. Edwards has done that everywhere he's ever gone. But if that pressure is just going to keep increasing as he climbs the ladder, because again, the other aspects of his game have not yet taken that step forward.
1: And again, to be clear, this is a good prospect. I think he's just kind of fascinating Mm -hmm. because he is so different from a lot of what the game has become. And there's varying levels of confidence. I'm big on, hey, if you can put the bat on the ball consistently, good things are going to happen. And I probably err on the side of believing he can help a team in some form or fashion. I know there are others who feel differently. And I just think he's one of the more fascinating prospects in the system because he is unique in so many ways. And JJ, we talk about the depth of this system. Willie Vasquez is someone who is not a, prominent household name by any stretch, especially when you consider the depth of the system and how many guys have been acquired in trades or were high draft picks. You had a lot of players to choose from to round out this list. And, and Willie Vasquez got the nod. Main <laughs> question is who is he? And and B, what was it that <laughs> elevated him into this top 10?
2: I, so it, I would say it came down to him and Carlos colmenares as who's going to be 11, 10 and who's going to be 11 on this list, giving away just a touch of the prospect handbook there. But um, Vasquez was one of the more fascinating players in the complex leagues this year. And what really stands out is this is a player who is a very plausible long-term shortstop who could be a really impressive offensive force as well. Um, useful, y- y- you read tea leaves, and sometimes these tea leaves, can, you can overemphasize them, but it is important and it's something to watch. I love that there was playoff baseball at the end of the minor league season last this past season, because what happens in playoff baseball is for a week basically – most of the general development rules are off. You're trying to win those games. If you got gotten that far, we might as well try to win a ring, right? Okay, take an example of another Rays prospect, Curtis Mead. The Rays want Curtis Mead to be a third baseman. Playoffs roll around. Curtis Meade is not playing third base for that team. They're moving him to first because his throwing arm is really not all that great at third base right now. Okay, we're going to try to win these games. Curtis Mead's our best first baseman. Well, what did the Rays also do? Willie Vasquez, come on up. You know, you're we, we could use some help in Charleston. So here he comes and inserted into that lineup for Charleston. Why? Because they're like, this guy can help us. And it's not going to hurt. Like the flip side from a developmental perspective of them, if you've just toiled in the Florida Complex League, which is by – every description of anyone I've ever talked to who's worked or played in the F- the GCL, now FCL, it is the least enjoyable experience of your baseball life. Playing games in front of no fans, in humidity that could best be in, consumed with a knife and a fork, and doing that day after day after day, to go from that to a playoff experience in front of a full house cheering for you and all had to be a little a, a wonderful little cherry on top of the Sunday at the end of the season for Vasquez, but this is a guy who has the ability to hit for some power, hit for average, he can run and he can play shortstop and he keeps getting bigger and stronger. It's a pretty good. Uh, it, it was a definitely if I was going to pick a breakout guy of the of the Rays system, Vasquez is probably that guy.
1: Yeah, certainly an intriguing guy to watch. You mentioned Carlos Colmenares, who is one of the top international signees in recent years. Was it eleven guys for ten spots, or were there more guys in consideration?
2: There were other guys in consideration, but I do think that's the one I felt bad about leaving off. Um, he had a hand injury, so we didn't a hamid injury, so we didn't see, I would say, in twenty twenty one the full effect of what we expect to see out of Carlos Colmenares. Um, But that said, he was one of the top prospects in the international class. And there was nothing we saw in his debut, really, really good defensively. Nothing that says, oh, there's worries here. He's a guy who, if I was doing another system that was not as deep, he would have been an easy top 10 guy. So that's the one that I see I felt the worst about leaving out of the top 10 because that's where the depth of this system, it just was really hard to rank him above players, all of whom, every single player who ranked above him has more minor league experience, more minor league success, and in almost every case, at least somewhat equivalent
1: tools. So that
2: made him 11 on a different, different system, he would have easily been a top 10 prospect.
1: So one of the fun things about doing the systems that are especially deep, and those of us at BA who have been here a couple of years, we've all done systems where, as you mentioned, by the time you get to number 21, you're like, okay, if this and this and this and this happens, maybe he'll be a up-down guy in four years. And then there's other systems where as we get to 30, we're like, God, I have five other guys who I really want to get on here and I just don't have the space for them. And the latter is much more fun because you have really good players you're writing up. Who is someone back half of this list or just outside the top 30 that as you're talking to scouts and evaluators, both inside and outside the race system, and you're writing them up, you're like, you know what? I think this guy a year from now is going to be a lot higher. For my example, last year was DJ hers with the Cubs. I had him at the back. I ranked him 27th. I'm like, there's a lot of indicators here that he's going to pop. And he did this year. And it's always kind of fun to see when that happens. Who's a guy like that for you? Because the Rays have a lot of candidates like that.
2: I'm going to pick one that's going to sound non-sexy to some guys, but but when I wrote up Colby White for this list, I thought he was going to be 25 when I started writing him. And as I wrote him and as I went back through the notes that had gathered and kind of looked at you know Colby White, realized he had to rank higher. And I can't say that he's going to pop as if he'll rank higher on this list next year because I will say right now, if Colby White is on this list next year, that is a disappointing outcome for him because I think that he's going to be a very useful reliever for them in 2022, which is saying something for a player who was assigned by merit because of where his developmentally he was to low a Charleston to start the 2021 season. They sent him to Charleston and I can't, when you say dominate at a level like you, we use that term maybe sometimes a little much. Well, how about this? I'm going to make 11 appearances, 16 innings. I'll give up a home run. That's a, okay. You got me on that one, guys. Eight hits, one walk. How about 36 strikeouts? So that's, that's 48 outs. 36 of them were by strikeout. Um, so that, and that, The home run came after there was an error with two outs. So the zero ERA. He goes up to high A, does pretty much the same thing. So they're like, oh, well, that's not enough. So they send him to double A and he just keeps doing the same thing. And so they're like, okay, we'll show you, we'll send you to triple A. And oh yeah, by the way, he's one of the better relievers than triple A from the day he arrives. They thought about, I I think that there were at least consideration, like, hey, can this guy help our big league club? They ended up deciding that four levels in one year was enough. But when you say, when you say we're about reading tea leaves, and and this is a guy with stuff, this is a guy who's fastball plays, all those. But when you're talking about reading tea leaves, when a player in his effectively pro debut climbs four levels, you should, you know, you pay attention to that because that's hard to do. And in his case, I think it is a harbinger of really good things to come.
1: Yeah. White was a sixth round pick in 2019 out of Mississippi state. And like you said, four levels, uh, the totals 1.44 ERA, uh, and 43 appearances, 104 strikeouts, 15 walks and 62 and a third innings. Uh, that's yeah, that's a hell of a season and and a first full season and climbing as quickly as he did really does say something impressive about him. So we look forward to seeing what he's able to do next year and, and all these raised guys in general, JJ, just to wrap it up. Uh, The million-dollar question here is the Rays, we've established they are a very good team in the major leagues with a lot of talent. They're a really good farm system. Both those things have been true for a number of years now. All that being said, there are some very significant limitations in what they're able to do, specifically financially, and it has hamstrung them. Uh, This is a team that, for all their success, they have not won a playoff series since 2008, outside of the shortened 2020 season which that format really played into their strengths as a team is the current group in the majors with this current group in the minors is it going to be enough to get them over that hump or are we still looking at a situation where they're just still going to be too limited by their inability to spend in the major leagues i the raise
2: approach for this year in year out i don't think is going to change partly because of financial limitations this is a team that does not spend money as you said their payroll is going to be rock bottom for a team that they're, they're going to consistently, when they make the playoffs, be the team with the lowest payroll in the playoffs, especially with the A's probably taking an off-ramp of any playoff contention for a, for a year or two to come at least. Um, but that is, there's another part of this that is their approach, I would say, which is this is not a team that takes all the chips, puts them all in, and says this is our year. This is the team that sits there, I mean, to, to torture the, the gambling analogy, they just sit there grinding it out hand after hand and year after year. They want to be in contention every year, believing that if they do that, if they're consistently one of the best teams in baseball, I think, they, I think that their viewpoint is we'll win it one of these years. And they almost did. Now, 2020 was a shortened season, but they are one year removed from being oh so close to winning it all. The thing that I do think that will help them coming forward, we both talked about, you know, before the season, like the real question was, and Glasnow going down really hurt them with this, where are the starting pitchers they're going to have for the postseason? And we don't know if Glasno's is going to be able to help them at all this year. So there, there's, there's a question with that. But if you have McClanahan and Patino and Boz all kind of keep getting better, keep developing. Those are guys to me, when we talk about playoff starters, they kind of fall into multiple groups now, which is, makes sense. But but one of the is, is there are guys who you're like, yes, that's a guy you want starting two games for you in a seven-game series. And then there are guys who you're like, eh. Got to start somebody, so maybe we start them. The McClanahan, Boz, Patino are all guys to me who fit in the – it is plausible that they could be guys who go out there. They're all young. They're all continuing. They should continue to improve. Those are all guys who could be guys that you like to hand the ball to in game one, game five, game seven of a seven-game series. That's the thing I feel like that they kind of lacked a little bit in recent years. No question. I think that, and I think that gives them, they have the chance. And again, not all of those guys, the three, I just named if, if in October of 2022, two of those guys are in that position where you're like, this guy's starting two games of this series, undoubtedly for us, if it goes seven, they're in good shape. If they have, if they have a one and a two out of those, and let's say one of them's hurt, one of them hasn't developed this year as they expected. Okay. Then you can be fine with their other depth of saying, we're handing the ball to Ryan Yarbrough, take your pick for, for a game of the series, you know, or whatever we're going to piece together a bullpen game. Like everyone does, but they need two of those guys to really step up, but they have the guys who have that potential to do it. And, just to throw it out there, you mentioned Taj Bradley earlier. He has yet to pitch above class A. But that said, he'll go to double A pretty soon, probably in 2022. This is not a team who has ever been shy about promoting talent. To if he they did it with Boz in 2021, there's they're usually slow play. I'm probably being too aggressive about that. But if you told me that someone else among the many pitchers they have in their system is able to be a number four in this rotation by the end of the year, that also doesn't seem
1: crazy to me. Yeah, we'll see. Obviously, they had the year where you had Snell, you had Morton, you had Glass now. Everything kind of came together a little bit during the shortened 2020 season in terms of the postseason for them. And that's when they had their most success, you know, having three or four legit starters who would say, hey, go give us six as opposed to having to piece it together. That's going to make a significant difference in their postseason outlook, and we'll see. Again, all these guys have to continue growing and getting there, and as we know, pitcher development is rarely linear, but they have a bulk of guys here so that if someone goes sideways, someone else can step up. So... A lot's going to depend on Tyler Glassner coming back healthy. As you mentioned, Shane McClanahan was really good as a rookie. Him taking another step. Shane Boss taking another step. But it's not hard to envision that this rotation becomes a playoff caliber rotation where you don't have to piece a thing together. You have four guys you can give the ball to and say, hey, go shove, and they do it. It's just a matter of A how long is that going to take? Because sometimes it takes a little bit of time and be letting them go out there and do it as opposed to being overly cautious and conservative as we've seen the Rays do sometimes with third time through the lineup stuff. Regardless, this is a team that has a really, really, really good foundation in place. We'll see if they're able to build on it. JJ, thank you so much for joining us today to break down the Rays system. We really appreciate it.
2: It was fun. This is a fun system to talk about.
1: All right, everyone, that'll do it for another edition of the BA Prospects Podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For JJ Cooper, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening, everybody. Stay safe.
0: Say goodbye